Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In Season 5, we have been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' farewell sermon to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy, which means second law, argues that if Israel are faithful to the divine law, they will experience prosperity and blessing in the promised land. However, if Israel fail to uphold the divine law, they will experience the curse of mimetic violence. To minimize mimetic rivalry within the community, the laws of Deuteronomy prescribe the venting of mimetic violence outwards towards the community's Canaanite rivals. Rivalry within the community is also managed by various laws which aim to achieve reparation between offenders and their victims. These laws in Deuteronomy also show a particular interest in protecting and providing for the poor and marginalised, which also helps maintain communal stability by keeping everyone happy and content. Let's read on now from Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 11. When men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. He did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all the enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall never forget. Right, let's consider this case of an ancient woman who attempts to rescue her husband by grabbing the genitals of her husband's attacker. Ancient Jewish exegetes struggle with the literal meaning of this passage and argued for a monetary fine rather than the physical amputation of the woman's hand. Some have argued that the woman's crime is particularly heinous because it jeopardizes either the attacker's honor, manhood, or ability to procreate. In any case, let's think about this law from a mimetic perspective. Throughout our studies in the Pentateuch, we have seen that rivalry is commonly restricted by sex. Women may engage in rivalry with other women. We saw this dynamic play out between Jacob's two wives, Rachel and Leah, in the book of Genesis. In the book of Exodus, we saw females intervene to preserve life, while male-perpetrated mimetic violence spiralled out of control. Israel's patriarchal structure places social distance between men and women, which ensures that the rivalry rarely crosses this gender divide. Our passage considers a rare occasion on which a woman is drawn into a violent exchange between her husband and another man. Although the woman's motivation seems virtuous enough as she attempts to rescue her husband, 
Her method is problematic. Rather than diffusing the situation, the woman escalates the rivalry by violently seizing the man's genitals. Through this act, the woman hopes to immobilize her husband's attacker. But even if her actions succeed in the short term, the physical injury and social shame inflicted by the woman only fuels the rivalry between her husband and his attacker all the more. To provide reparation and stifle the rivalry between these two men, blame is transferred upon the woman who dared to cross the gender divide to engage in mimetic rivalry with a man. For her sin, the woman's hand, which has seized the attacker's genitals, is amputated. In the ancient Near East, the image of an upraised hand communicate a defiant military opponent who was determined to fight and win. For example, the ancient Canaanite storm god Baal is often depicted with an upraised hand brandishing a spear, communicating his violent intent to destroy his enemies. Likewise, in this law, the woman extends her hand and attempts to defeat her husband, attacker, by violently seizing his genitals. With the removal of her hand, the woman loses her symbol and a weapon of violent defiance, ensuring she will never make the same mistake again. By these means, vengeance is exacted upon the woman who is blamed for the violent exchange. The removal of her hand attempts to make reparation and to vent the violence between these two males. Verses 13 to 16 forbid ripping people off by using dodgy counterweights. In the ancient world, various goods were sold determined on their weight and measure. A seller might be tempted to cheat their customer by using a smaller counterweight, which would deceive the customer into thinking they were receiving more product than they actually had. Our passage forbids this form of deception and promises that if people are honest, they will experience the Lord's blessing in the land. However, those who act dishonestly are an abomination to the Lord, which suggests they will be rejected by the Lord and suffer mimetic violence. The Amalekites also suffer the curse of mimetic violence. In retaliation for their attack upon Israel, the Amalekites must be utterly destroyed. By these means, the community band together and vent their mimetic violence upon their Canaanite rivals. Reading on now from chapter 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land and the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make your response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. 
And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given to me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say to the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have given to me. And I have not transgressed any of the commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God, and you will walk in his ways, and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules, and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in high honor above all the nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Many Bible scholars have interpreted the offerer's words in this text as a primordial creed of the Israelite people. The offerer acknowledges that the Lord has blessed him by delivering him from his Egyptian oppressors, bringing him into the promised land, and granting him now an abundant harvest. The offerer reciprocates some of the Lord's blessings back to him and asks the Lord to look down from his holy habitation and bless the people of Israel. From a mimetic perspective, this ritual of acknowledgement, sacrifice and petition attempts to set in motion a positive cycle of mimesis between the Lord and his people. This cycle is continued in the third year in which a tenth of the produce is collected and distributed to communities most poor and marginalised citizens who might otherwise be tempted to band together and revolt against the established social order which oppresses them. By these means, the sacrifice of first fruits and the tithe attempt to harness divine blessing while minimising the threat of mimetic violence within the community. 
To this end, the offerer denies various practices which might otherwise decrease the effectiveness of his sacrifice. He declares that he has not eaten of the tithe while mourning or unclean, and has not offered any of the portion to the dead. It's not entirely clear how these practices are harmful. Personally, I think the key lies in the concept of impurity, which is associated with all of these practices. Coming in contact with the tithe while in a state of ritual impurity may defile the whole offering and precipitate an outburst of divine violence. To avoid such an outburst, the offerer declares that they have not engaged in these practices, something akin to the declarations made by someone in a modern legal waiver who declares their fitness before participating in a potentially dangerous activity. In a similar way, the offerer in our passage declares their fitness to present their offering by denying participation in any activities which might otherwise jeopardize everyone's safety. Reading on now from chapter 27, verse 1. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole command that I command you today. And on this day, when you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, concerning which I command you today, on Mount Ebal, which you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings, and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by hands of craftsmen and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and the people shall say, Amen. 
Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people will say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. The dramatic declaration of various curses for disobedience to the divine law reiterates to the people the serious nature of their covenant with the Lord. The cursed formula warns of potential divinely imposed misfortune in ancient legal declarations. The communal response of Amen to each curse communicates the people's understanding and acceptance of these covenant conditions. Ancient covenants often warned the subordinate party of the curses they would suffer if they broke their overlord's law. Scholars often note that Deuteronomy is modelled on this ancient concept of a covenant forged between a conquering king and a subordinate people. In exchange for their fealty and obedience to the king, the subordinate party is allowed to live and enjoy the beneficence of their new overlord. As we shall see in the following chapter, a list of blessings are promised in return for the people's covenant obedience, only to be overshadowed by an extensive account of the curses incurred through rebellion. The threat of divine violence looms large in the book of Deuteronomy, which urges the people to remain obedient to the divine law to experience peace and safety in the land of Canaan. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.